of you welcome. Again, I'm Len, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning. Uh, it is a great privilege and opportunity to share with you, and so thank you again for being here. Um, we're continuing in a series that we've been calling When, When, and uh, we started by looking at When I Feel Like a Failure, and then last week we looked at When I Have Gone Too Far. Today, uh, we're going to be looking at when I don't like myself. And I know that if we've got some self-esteem issues, some image, perception, um, things that go on in our life, um, I I know that this kind of a message can be interpreted as, oh, great, more stuff that I don't like about myself, that I just pile it on, I know. And I just want to encourage you to not go there because this is a message of hope. Our God wants to bring hope hope and healing and wholeness in our lives. And so just resist, I, I, I know that temptation, just resist that temptation to say, oh, I'm blowing it even worse than I thought. You know, instead to say, oh God, thank you so much. Because this is a difficult topic. This is a hard thing, cutting at the core of our identity and our image and how we perceive ourselves. And And because it's a difficult topic, we just want to address it with honesty and love and grace and hope. And so I hope you'll go on this ride with us this morning. Um, Most of the things that we say we don't like about ourselves, or even if we go to a a real, really far down that road and say we just don't like ourselves at all, not just stuff about ourselves, but literally don't like ourselves, some of us go there. Um, they're, They're just symptoms really of a bigger issue that we're going to look at today. And I think virtually all of us have something that we don't like about ourselves, whether it's, you know, something as as simple as I don't like the shape of my face or the freckles on my skin, to some real deep issues that cut at the core of our psyche. Like, I hate that I'm a failure or I'm lonely or childless or ugly or depressed or a victim or any number of things that sometimes we use to really get to a place of self-loathing and even self-hate. And, um, and, and many of us live with shame and guilt and deep insecurities or unbearable emotional or even physical pain that can create this self-hate in our lives. And it leads us to a number of things that we do to cope with that. It, it leads us to mask them or deny them, live in denial entirely about it, or to go off the rails into some self-destructive choices, or to go another direction and overcompensate in pursuing success and presenting images of who we want to be rather than who we are uh, to the world around us. And, And I just believe at the heart of most of these issues that we deal with that they are spiritual in nature. And as we look to God's plan for us today, Um, That's something that we can speak to this morning. But some of the struggles that we deal with, uh, you know, they also have medical or psychological uh, elements to them. And I I don't have the expertise to speak to those. And so I just encourage you to pursue resources that would be available to you in those, those areas. But even how we deal with things that we, you know, that are like that, medical or psychological, even how we respond to those are spiritual in nature. And so I want us to look at how God has answers and hope for us as we face the circumstances of our lives. God created us 
And his intention in us was perfection, um, but it's far different than our current reality because sin is in our world. Um, sin is now part of the world that we experience. It's, it's at the very core of our nature, as I talked about last week. But there is still this standard in us that, that we evaluate self with, that we aspire towards. The problem is, is because sin is in our world, our, our understanding, our perception is skewed. Our conscience is skewed, which basically means that in a variety of ways, we misjudge. We falsely evaluate, we falsely condemn, we falsely commend sometimes. We like and approve of things that are off, and we attack and are judgmental towards things that we ought to love. And so in at least four different ways um, that our conscience gets distorted um, that we're going to look at, they, they, they really impact the way that we look at ourselves and assess our world. And the first is, is we live before wrong eyes. 1 Corinthians 4, um, Paul writes this, and it's a profound passage where he says, it doesn't really matter what you think of me. In fact, it doesn't really matter what I think of myself. It's the Lord who judges. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul doesn't assess himself. He does. He says here in the verse that uh, I'm not aware of anything against me. So he's been looking at himself. But it is God who judges. And so one of the ways that our conscience distorts is when we fix our eyes on the opinion of ourselves or the opinion of other people about us. And uh, those eyes become more important than what God sees in us or thinks about us. God's eyes often take a distant third uh, in how we view the world and look at ourselves. We get a false view of what God sees in us. Second, we listen to the wrong voice. We hear accusatory voices, such as people who perhaps mocked us or attacked us at seasons of our lives. And there's times that we might even think that God is the one who is accusing us. And so we end up with a distorted view of God, a God of no mercy or compassion or love, which really is kind of a Satan, in a sense, who is merely condemning us. But God says to us something completely different. Paul writes this, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. His view of us. His voice is so much more important than the voices that may be running around in our head, the tapes that we may be playing. Third, we stand next to a wrong standard. And this is a huge issue because whether the things for which we condemn ourselves are are, are actual wrongs or not, I mean, are are they things like killing someone or abortion or anger or, or, you know, something like that that we clearly can identify perhaps as wrong? Is is it sexual immorality or did we lie and make false reports about somebody? I mean, those are things that we can see in the Bible, you know, have clear-cut issues. But sometimes we have standards that are less clear. They're a lot grayer and vaguer. That's not a word. But they're a lot more vague in our lives, right? And, And it may be this sense of failure. Where did we get that standard by which we fail or succeed? We're not as good-looking as we want, or not as athletic, or our brother makes more money than we do. What is the standard 
that you have set by which you fail or succeed. Next, we look to the wrong Savior. Who is our Savior? Who is the one who bears our sin? Is it us, ourselves? A lot of us play that game. We're the ones who punish ourselves, beat ourselves up when we've done something wrong. We're the ones who try to fix it and make it right in our own strength. We have made ourselves the judge and savior or condemner of our lives. It's the power of the Holy Spirit present in our lives to renew our conscience so that we might have the right eyes that see the fear of God the love of God, or the right voice, the voice of God of redeeming love? Or do we stand next to the right standard, the standard of faith and love, and look to the right Savior? The Holy Spirit wants to indwell our lives to correct our skewed distortions, how our conscience assesses ourselves and views our world. Now, earlier I said that these twisted distortions of our conscience and how we look at our world and assess ourselves and how it can all go very bad and become very destructive towards self-hatred and loathing, I said that these expressions are symptoms of something bigger, something deeper. And it's pride. Pride, plain and simple. And that might come as a shock because we generally think of pride as thinking highly of ourselves, right? Right? Or inflating our ego, or our perception of feeling entitled, and we think of others as that person is proud, as being puffed up and arrogant and kind of full of themselves. We think of pride uh, in that sort of a way, that it's, it's going to that extreme of thinking you're better than everybody else. But really, pride is also something that becomes a standard by which we measure our failure, our shortcomings, and it leads us to a self-loathing self-hate. So a better definition of pride is preoccupation with ourselves. And we can't defeat pride by becoming preoccupied with how we're doing against pride. That's a vicious cycle happening there, right? We think about ourselves more, obsess more, become preoccupied with how we're doing, getting rid of pride, but yet we're thinking about ourselves more as we're, we can't go there. That's a horrible place to, to end up. And there are benefits to self-help and to self-awareness in our lives. But there is also a trap side to it when we become overly focused on ourselves. We can fall into this self-exaltation, which takes credit for our successes, or self-promotion, which highlights our successes to others so that they'll give us credit for doing something great. But pride can also shift into really negative spaces of self-degradation, self-demotion, when we beat ourselves up for our failures. And we're still obsessed with ourselves. In the first form, we're obsessed with our successes, but in the second, we're obsessed with our failures. And so there are some mindsets and perspective-shifting attributes that God, through his word, tells us will bring healing And we'll adjust this distorted thinking of self-hate and get right to the core of dealing with the pride in our lives. The first is humility. The anecdote too, or the opposite of pride, is humility. But many people think of humility as sort of a doormat thinking. Oh, I'm so low and worthless. What a worm am I. 
you know, and we put ourselves down because somehow putting ourselves down puts us in a place where we don't come off as arrogant. But that's not humility. No, real humility, as C.S. Lewis said, is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. We can spend a lot of time thinking less of ourselves, but we only spend up or end up thinking a lot about ourselves. The problem of pride doesn't boil down to whether we think high thoughts or low thoughts about ourselves, but that we think a lot about ourselves. That's pride. Whether it's good or negative, good or bad, we're thinking a lot about ourselves. That's pride. Humility is fundamentally a form of self-forgetfulness, as opposed to pride's self-fixation. Humility can set you free because when you think about yourself less, you are free to think about Christ more. When we think about ourselves less, we are free to think about how God wants to work through us to serve other people. That's humility, thinking less about ourselves and more about God. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So why does God oppose the proud? Well, it's because the proud fixate on themselves and exalt themselves. The humble person makes God big and submits or yields to him. Humility puts us in a path of grace and forgiveness and liberty and freedom. Pride puts us in the path of opposition against God. Which then leads us to the next attribute of submission. Pride, fixating on yourself with inflated perceptions or self-loathing perceptions, can cause us to disqualify ourselves from obedience and service to God. We, we don't yield to what he wants to do in our lives. And all throughout the Bible, we are given examples of people who tried or succeeded in letting their failures disqualify them from God's plan for their lives. And one is a very a well-known story. Most of you probably know, but if not, I'm going to share it a little bit. It's about a guy named Moses um, who had this experience out in the wilderness. He'd been there for 40 years, and there's this burning bush experience where God begins to talk to him, interjects into Moses' life, and speaks to him. And the point of this this moment in time is that God wants to send Moses back to Egypt, where he was at, and, and, and lead his fellow Israelites out of slavery and into the promised land. And what is Moses doing? I mean, God, speaking through a burning bush, you think he would believe, okay, God. Instead, he tries to squirm out of it. No, God, really, you're all wrong. Go to somebody else. Here's what he says. He says, Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. The thought is, is that Moses was actually a stutterer, and he is using his insecurity about his ability to speak publicly, to disqualify him. God, you've clearly got it wrong. You're looking at the wrong guy. Please, God, choose somebody else. So then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleads. This guy's got nerve, right? (laughs) Moses again pleads, Lord, please 
anybody but me. Send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. We take sometimes our insecurities and infirmities and perceptions of ourselves and we use them to resist God. We use them to say, I'm unworthy, I'm not good enough, you don't know who you're looking at, God. Use somebody else, pass me over, keep going. I want to live my life apart from your plan. That's where pride takes us, even negative pride. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, shared about his begging God to take away what he called a thorn in the flesh, something that tormented him greatly. And he says this, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I love Paul. He just flips right then. He says, okay, well then now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. Right? He's like, I'm not going to try to get rid of it. Now I'm going to boast in it so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, pride is not just an arrogance that declares we don't need God. Pride is a self-loathing that says we can't be useful to God. And you know what? God is God. God. He's aware of your limitations. He's aware of your your insecurities. He's aware of your flaws and your brokenness. He's aware of your failings and your weaknesses. And he still wants to work in and through you for a purpose and a plan in your life. Who are we? Seriously, who are we to tell him no? Who are we to tell God no, that he's got it wrong? He wants to use us and work through us anyway. Moving to obedience and submission is where God wants us to go to avoid and deal with pride in our lives. The next is contentment. We sang about this already when we sang, it is well with my soul. What a place of contentment. It is well, God. Whatever struggles, whatever circumstances in your life, to get to a place of contentment, To say it is well is such a great place to get to. Oftentimes, one of the main areas that trip us up in regards to contentment is the area of our wealth and our ability to provide for our families and and succeed in life, whatever that measure of success is. And we fall into traps of needing more, of comparing ourselves to others. And remember I talked about those wrong eyes and that wrong voice and that wrong standard? We've set that up as the success by which we are failure or not. And so we become discontent because we're not there. We begin to hate ourselves when we don't measure up or have enough or live better than the next guy. But all this is a trap which keeps us trusting in ourselves and not God. Paul wrote this to Timothy. He said, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Rather than waste any of our emotional, spiritual, physical energy on despising ourselves 
over false standards of success, let's pursue the contentment found in the provision of our God. Next attribute is joy. Joy. And I mentioned this idea of joy last week as being so important to dealing with sin in our lives when I said that joy is based on the enoughness. Remember, I made up that word, the enoughness of God. God's view of us, God's provision for us, God's healing of our sinful condition, God's liberty and grace and mercy and love and every other incredible behavior and attribute of God is enough. He is enough. And when we accept that, that leads us to experience the greatest joy that we can. And it's a remarkable point that was delivered to the prophet Nehemiah in the Old Testament and Israel, God's chosen people, as as they were struggling through a really difficult time. Here they thought they were God's chosen people, this little nation set up in the middle of the Middle East, and nation after nation is coming and and wiping them out in warfare and taking them off into captivity, and and they're just having some self-doubt, some self-esteem issues as a people. And here is what God says to them. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is where we find our strength for life, for pain, for trials, for insecurities, for illnesses, for self-perceptions, for self-doubts, for everything. The strength we need for this life is found in the essential joy of God. God is joy. We say God is love all the time, but you know what? God is also joy. He is complete in his joy. And our strength in him is found in that joy. Because we often have a distorted view of God is who God is, we kind of have bought into that thought that God is angry or displeased or mean or out to get us. Because we have a wrong view of God often, that, that reinforces our wrong perception of ourselves. And gives us a validation of sorts to believe that about ourselves. But listen to this perspective-shifting description of God in a book called Zephaniah in the Old Testament. It says, The Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. It is this joy, the joy of the Lord, the joy that delights in you. The joy that is gladness and love for you, that sings joyful songs over you. That's who God is. Not the God who lacks compassion and and doesn't care for you. No, he delights in you. He loves you. And when we get our eyes off of wrong perceptions or off of ourself and instead fix our eyes on who God is, everything changes. There's a little song that a lot of us grew up singing. It says, turn your eyes on Jesus and all the cares of this world will fade away. When I just fill all of my frame of view of reference of the world with his character and nature and love for me, everything else just kind of gets in line. Perspective-shifting view of God is so important. Fix your eyes on who God is. 
The next thing is community. And I added this after your notes were printed if you're taking notes. Some of you don't even know you have notes, right? But some of you are note takers, and I added this point so you can write this in the margin. Uh, and it's so important to overcoming pride. And it, community is less of an attribute and really more of a behavior. But it's so important uh, in, our, in our journey to become like Christ and to deal with the pride that just grips us so much. Because when we dislike ourselves, we often withdraw from others. We retreat into ourselves and hide because of shame and guilt or fear that somebody won't accept us, they won't love us, they won't understand us, they'll condemn us. And so rather than deal with that possible reality, we just retreat. And I want you to hear this very clearly, that isolation is the enemy of your soul. It is an enemy of your soul. God designed you and created us to be in community. And when we live opposite of his design, we only fuel a more destructive result in our lives. God wants us to be in community. Yes, there are jerks out there who won't accept you. You're right. There are some bad eggs out there who in their hurt and their pain will put it off on you. But there are a lot of safe people who love you, who want to walk with you in this journey of life to grow together to become like Christ. They're probably in a life group here at church, and I would encourage you to get in community and do that. Grow together in safe love and encouragement for each other. The reality is, is we, as we embrace authentic relationships, we come to realize that this is a broken world, and we're all in this thing together. We are all in this together. So we need each other. And that we are stronger together than apart. In fact, Ecclesiastes says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. Get in community. That's what God wants us to do. It will help us grow and overcome. Now, let's be real. All of us, all of us have weaknesses and limitations, sinfulness, deformities perhaps, illnesses, and a whole lot of other junk. A whole lot of other junk that makes it easy for us to find something we don't like about ourselves, right? I've got my list. I know you have your list. You've probably been thinking about it the whole time I've been talking. We all have things that we don't like about ourselves, right? So let's be honest about that. I'm not suggesting that we try to hide that, ignore that, you know, bury that under the rug. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting, what I am suggesting is that we stop fixating on it and we focus our attentions on God. If we're not real and honest about our limitations and flaws and weaknesses, we never come to God humbly and asking for him to help us. We prevent his working in our lives by ignoring we have something that needs him to work on, right? So I'm all for being honest about it, just not fixated on it. Fix our eyes on God who loves us, wants to grow us and transform us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Where there are sin issues that we need to deal with, man, let's let the power of the Holy Spirit through forgiveness and grace 
help us to overcome and make some changes in our lives. And where there are things in our lives that are beyond our ability to fix, because there are things that we, we just don't have any choice in the matter, God gives us endurance and perseverance to go through those circumstances with contentment and joy and trust in him. So pursue him. Fix our eyes on him. The heart of it is that it really doesn't matter if I like myself or not. It matters that God likes me and that he cares for and loves me and wants to shape me into the image of his son. And I encourage you to just embrace that truth that he loves you and he cares for you. Remember, when we don't place our trust in him, our perceptions of self become skewed and we falsely condemn ourselves or falsely commend ourselves. That happens. And seeing ourselves and our world instead through God's eyes gives everything a proper perspective. So as we get ready to close here this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to join me back up on the stage as we end our time. And, and I've asked them to lead us in a, in a new song to teach, a, excuse me, teach us a new song that really has only a few lines, but they're very powerful lines. You're going to pick this up fast because we repeat those lines an awful lot. But it is such an incredible song and a great prayer that I hope will become your prayer. And the lyrics are up here on the screen in a moment. There they are. I lean not on my own understanding. My life is in the hands of the maker of heavens. I give it all to you, God, trusting that you'll make something beautiful out of me. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. There's nothing I hold on to. Now, I want to unpack those lyrics a little bit. They're in your notes so that if later during the week you want to meditate on this, these, this prayer, which is what it is, uh, that you can do that. But I want to unpack this a little bit because I lean not on my own understanding. Besides the fact that I just don't understand emotionally why so many circumstances happen in people's lives. I mean, I can tell you academically or theologically why people are broken and sin is in the world, and, and I can go through that list. But we all have those head-scratching moments of compassion where we say, God, why? Why do people have to suffer this way? Why are people experiencing the things they experience? And, and I can't lean on my understanding at that point because, because it gets skewed. And so besides that, I have to acknowledge that my understanding leads to twisted perceptions of the reality of life. God is my maker. He is He's the potter shaping this clay. He is shaping and molding me into his son's in image. And, uh, and so my response to him is to give myself over to him. To say, God, I trust you to make something beautiful out of this mess. And I ask you to pray that same sort of prayer. God, whatever my flaws, my limitations, my insecurities, my physical issues, whatever they are, God, make something beautiful out of this. I trust you to do that. And then as we climb this mountain, what is the mountain? The mountain of our faith, this journey to become more like Christ, to ascend to him, to, to be in relationship with him. We've got to enter that relationship with our hands wide open. I can't hold on with uh, fists clenched with anger and blame at God and say, what were you thinking when you made me this way? No, I've got to have open hands saying, okay, God, I don't understand why I'm this way, but you do. God, work through me. Make something beautiful. I strip away my agendas. I come open-handed to you in trust. 
I hold on to nothing. I try to put it all in your hands and trust you. Now, I acknowledge, I'll be honest, I acknowledge that for some of you, that prayer is so far from where you're at. You can't even imagine praying that. I just encourage you to consider that, to begin to see God differently, to give your life over to his leading in a way that um, you could begin that journey. And I know some of you gave yourself over to his leading years ago, but your life has been still hindered by self-doubt and dislike of yourself in so many areas that you've been robbed of joy and you've avoided submitting and yielding to his purpose and plan in your life. I mean, those areas of humility and submission and contentment and, you know, community, all of those areas are lacking in our lives. I just invite you to pray as this worship team leads us in this song. I lean not on my own understanding My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven I lean not on my own understanding My life is in
today, please let us know so we can help you to continue to put steps in place to grow in that choice, a life following Christ. For the rest of you, again, who have made such a decision at some point in your life, I just hope you took steps closer to a life of trust and hope and joy and humility and submission and contentment in him, because again, we can be robbed of all of that when we begin to get our eyes off of him. So may... May you just continue to fix your eyes on him more and more each day. That's our prayer for you as pastors, as prayer teams, as leaders, life group leaders. Those are the prayers that we have for you. We hope that you'll do that. Thank you for being here this morning, and I hope, hope you walk away with a greater sense of joy and the presence of God in your life. I'm going to invite you to stand right now as we end with one final.